Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Centerway. My name is Dan, and I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you guys are here this morning. It, um, it's exciting. We're going to be starting the Advent series, but I wanted to welcome those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online or watching and listening later. Um, we, this morning, this moment right now is primarily for you. If you're here for a first time, we have some details and information that um, just let you know what's going to be happening today. Um, we'd love to connect with you. And the way, the best way for us to do that is there's a card in the seat in front of you. If you would prefer, you can fill that out and drop it in the offering box in the back. Um, if not, you can do it electronically. Uh, there's an info card um, that you can find on our, the Next Step page of our website, or you can use the Uversion app. There's instructions on the screen on how to connect with us through there. The app, you can also make Centerway your church and connect with us and the reading plans, and there's a lot of options there. You can also give through uh, the app as well, but if you um, regularly attend, you can also use our website. Um, but if you're a guest with us, by all means, there's no... no um, you don't need to feel the pressure to give it all. But this morning, we are starting a new series called In Light and Darkness. We are, uh, we're excited about this Advent series and all that it has in store for us. Um, but if you missed any of the Being Built series, there is a lot of great resources. All of the messages and devotionals are on the website. You can check that out on the messages page. And if you're looking to take a next step, you can also visit the next step area in the back or that page on our website. There's a number of ways to continue learning to follow Jesus, and we'd love to help you on that journey. Um, coming up, we have some exciting things um, for our whole church. You can find that on the calendar page of our website, but I just wanted to highlight a few of them. On December 1st, we're having an Advent gathering. Uh, it'll be a time of worship and prayer and waiting as we, um, as we prepare our hearts through this, through this season. And next Sunday is the last, uh, last week to sign up for students for Winter Retreat. And December 20th is our Christmas gathering. We're very excited. There's a lot of people that, um, that, that come out and get to share that uh, exciting service. There'll be time with kids. There'll be some fun videos for all of us to enjoy. Uh, last week, we were, I love being a part of a generous church, being able to give our time and our talent and treasure. And last week, we had two opportunities to, um, to take action on, in generosity. And one of them was Operation Christmas Child. And we were really excited to drop off over 50 boxes and excited for the impact that those have all over the world. And it was also our One Day to Feed the World offering. And uh, we'll be able to announce that total soon. But there's still time to give if you'd like. You can um, put an envelope in the, in the offering box or there's still a drop down on the website to do that. And finally, if you have any questions, feedback, or ideas, or need prayer, the best way to reach out is to uh, email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. And now it's, here's what to expect uh, for the gathering this morning. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible. Kira's going to be reading the scripture. And then we'll respond to the word by worshiping. Would you bow your head and pray this, with me this morning? God, we are so thankful that in this season, as everything gets busier, Lord, that we know that you are still the foundation under our feet and that we can take these moments to pause and focus on you and learn what it looks like to follow you more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. 
can follow along on the screens, Bible app, or your Bible. (laughs) Totally had a brain fart. Sorry. Um, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Thanks, Kira. Uh, Good morning, and... Welcome, everyone. Um, For those of you that don't know, my name is Claude. Uh, My wife, Meredith, and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway and want to take a second just to welcome you all. So glad that you chose to be with us this morning, whether it's in person or online. Um, We are um, kind of beginning a new series, as was just mentioned, and I'll give a little bit of an explanation about uh, the new series. Admittedly, it's always done better in the series write-up, so if you want to go to the website, you can check it out there, or if you subscribe to our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, uh, you can have access to the write-up via that as well, um, or more clarity in the series there. So um, admittedly, I'm going to kind of fly over it at a, at a higher level. Um, we're beginning... Uh, this series, and we've identified it as an Advent series, in case you uh, missed that. It's an Advent series. And for those of you that may not be familiar with what Advent is, Advent simply means arriving. And uh, it's the time of year that we acknowledge and celebrate the fact that Jesus arrived, that Jesus arrived in a manger and chose to walk among us. It's traditionally the, uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And uh, this year it's a little bit unique because the way that that typically works out is it's the, the first Sunday following Thanksgiving. But the way Thanksgiving fell this year and the way Christmas falls, um, it technically means that Advent won't begin until December 3rd. So we're starting our Advent series a week early. And the reason why we're doing that is because, as you know, or as you've heard announced, our Christmas gathering is on December 20th. And so uh, we will not have an in-person gathering here on Sunday, Christmas Eve. And so as a result, this is the first of our four Sundays together leading up to Christmas. So um, this series will span Advent. And so for those of you that are very like specific and technical, you might be like, you are starting Advent a week early. It's because we're so prompt. There's a reason behind it. Uh, Just, I wanted to kind of explain that little bit of a housekeeping explanation. Um, You might be sitting there and saying, okay, I get that, but why in the world would we spend Advent in Ezra of all places? (laughs) And so I'll give a little bit of an explanation there as well. If you've been with us for the previous series, you know that we've covered the first seven chapters of Nehemiah. And if you missed that and are interested, you can always check out our website. Um, 
but we'll complete the book of Nehemiah in the beginning part of 2024. And so we have this window in the middle of Nehemiah for Advent, and uh, the preaching and teaching team thought it would be uh, pretty fitting to spend Advent in Ezra, um, which is a book of the Bible that precedes Nehemiah, if you don't know that. So uh, Ezra was written first and leads into the book of Nehemiah. And so uh, it's kind of neat that we're going back in time a little bit as we go into Advent. Uh, The context is the exiles prior to Nehemiah kind of stepping into the situation. And so we we have uh, Ezra... Uh, being with these uh, Israelites as they come back to Jerusalem and see it in complete ruins. Of course, the wall is down because Nehemiah hasn't taken place yet. So the wall is down, but beyond that, uh, the temple is down. And and they see Jerusalem in complete ruin. And uh, they start by building an altar. The first thing they do is they build an altar. And the beginning verses of Ezra explain that uh, because the first thing they want to be able to do is to sacrifice to the Lord uh, because of the Levitical system of sacrifice. In order for them to be in right standing with the Lord, they need to uh, kill an animal to shed blood for the sins that they've committed. And so if you're not familiar with the the Levitical sacrificial system, uh, that might sound kind of like crude and disturbing, um, but bear with me. There's a reason why I'm sharing some of that. Um, The altar has been rebuilt, and now they are beginning to rebuild the temple. And the reason they're rebuilding the temple is so that they can... uh, allow God's presence to dwell among them. The way the temple was built, there was a holy of holies that would be built and uh, God's presence would come and rest on the mercy seat, which would be at the top of the Ark of the Covenant. All right, so I'm giving you a whole bunch of context that you might not even track with me, so feel free to come back to this later. Um, But I just want us all to kind of be on the same page so we can all track together. The other thing that is critical to understand is that we're picking up the story where they're celebrating what's called the feasts. So uh, the Israelites have all these feasts that take place, and the feasts are connected to that which they've experienced, the presence of God, and how it is that they can be in relationship with the Lord. And so they're, uh, according to the beginning part of this chapter, they're coming together and they're celebrating what's called the Feast of Booths. And they... They lived in booths uh, for a season. And the reason they did that was to remember the exodus from Egypt and the way that they were in the wilderness for years. And they lived literally in booths for that season. And so what they would do is annually they would celebrate this time where they would be in booths and recall that which their uh, forefathers had endured. And so, again important context to understand because that's some of the setting that we pick up this story. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, realize that all of scripture in the Old Testament uh, is pointing forward to Jesus. And that ultimately it's pointing forward to Jesus in the context of as we lean into Advent, uh, it would be kind of low-hanging fruit to go through the, the typical verses that would reveal this coming baby. And there's nothing wrong with that for sure. But I think it's a little more fitting that we would look at the Old Testament and see how it's actually pointing towards the coming Christ. And we'll see it here as we go through this journey and as we talk about the reality that God is present 
and accessible, whether we are in light, the high points of our life, or if we are literally in darkness, some of the lowest, most difficult seasons of our life. And so that's kind of the setting uh, that I had to uh, set up a little bit. I know that it felt like you were probably sipping from a fire hydrant. Hopefully you'll retain some of that. If not, you'll uh, connect some of the dots as we move forward. Uh, But let's go ahead and, and jump right in. We're really excited about the series. As I just mentioned, it's entitled Light and Darkness. And today's talk is specifically entitled Expectations. Expectations. I want to start by asking us all a question to contemplate. The question is this. Why does the holiday season seem complicated at times? (laughs) Why does the holiday season seem complicated at times? There are so many hilarious responses uh, that are a potential answer to this question. But I want to submit to you. Most of our complications around the holidays are attached to expectations. They're attached to expectations, right? Some of you might have been like, family! And then you're like, whoops, <laughs> looking around. No, they're all connected to the underpinning of, of all of the complications are connected to expectations. Expectations. Expectations are so interesting because we all have them. We all have expectations, right? There's high and low expectations. There are unmet or exceeded my expectations, right? We all have expectations. Even if you're sitting there and saying, listen, I don't, I don't have an expectation. I'm one of those people that I'm really easygoing and I don't come with any expectation at all. So I appreciate that you're talking about how we all have them, but I just don't think I'm that kind of guy, that kind of girl. I just, I don't have those expectations. Well, the easiest example that I can give you right off the bat is if I was up here and I was still preaching at 3 p.m. today, (laughs) I would see all of your expectations come to the surface. (laughs) We would all have an expectation. Like maybe around noon, some of you would be like, oh no, the time is flying by so fast. I mean, my my wife and children would still be captivated by my words as they leaned in with with, (laughs) with awe and anticipation. But somewhere around one, you'd be like, all right, enough is enough. And by three, for sure, I'd be preaching to an empty room. We all have expectations. Even if they're secret, even if they're unspoken, There's underlying expectations. We as humans have them. And here's the deal. It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Expectations aren't evil. To have an expectation isn't necessarily a bad thing unless, unless our expectations become an ultimate thing. If they become an ultimate thing in our lives, then our joy, our peace, our sense of self-worth are attached to our expectations, right? So then all of a sudden, when our expectations are unmet, we're not sure we can find joy. We're not certain that we can experience some form of peace because we thought it was going to go this way, and it's not. Those people have let us down, or we've let ourselves down, or God has let us down. Unmet expectations. Our lives, outcomes, situations, even relationships, they change. All of them change. Obviously, that's not rocket science, right? Whether we like it or not, and I know that there are some of of us in this room that are like, listen, if it changes, I love it. 
Like some of you are just changeaholics. Like, you know, just change it all. And then others of you are like, why change anything ever? (laughs) And we have the extreme and then we have everybody in between. But the reality is the only constant in this life is change. (laughs) Things change. In those moments, are we able to adjust or even surrender our expectations? Or are we controlled by our desires? Are we controlled maybe even by our grief? Because grief is attached to change also. And I'm not saying that desires are bad and I'm not saying that grief is bad. Again, I'm talking about being controlled by our expectations. By what we envisioned. By what we believed would be the outcome. It's fitting that we address this topic at the holidays because at the holidays our expectations are heightened because of i joked earlier but because of family because of family because of the loss of family because of the tension of family because of uh, the desire for family because of traditions we have traditions around holidays and so it heightens all of these expectations we've always done xyz right But we have to because we did. Because my family did. Because your family did. Because we always have. Things change. So a couple years back, I'm not exactly sure what the year was. uh, We were um, (laughs) contemplating what we were going to do for the holidays, trying to navigate and work out uh, our Christmas Eve service. Uh, not our Christmas Eve service, our Christmas Eve dinner. So one of the things that used to be predominant in my family was that we would celebrate uh, Christmas Eve together with my side of the family. And then we would, at Christmas time, we'd have it with our immediate five five members of our family. And then on Christmas Day, we would travel down to Pennsylvania uh, to be with Meredith's family. That's kind of the way it's always been for somewhere around 20 years at the time. It was just the way it was. And all of a sudden, we're struck with the reality that things are getting complicated. There's this amazing thing called grandchildren, right? And our families all of a sudden spread out and we live in different locations. And, you know, my parents have three children and the three of us are all married. So now there's six of us and we have uh, 10 children in total, not me and Meredith, uh, total. So, uh, oh my gosh. Anyway, um, they'd be blessings. Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, So the... uh, the fact is there's, there's 10 grandchildren, and, and that's incredible, right? I mean, it's amazing. And so you can just imagine what it looks like, this, this full house. And I know for some of you, you're like, you're a lightweight. Like there's, you know, 50 people at my family when we get together. Congratulations. I'm not trying to compare. I'm simply saying it's become more complicated. And so around 20 years of, of doing it this way, all of a sudden we're confronted with the reality of like, we can't come together on Christmas Eve. It's not going to work out. You would have thought that we issued like hits out for our family. Like, here's the deal. Someone's going to come kill you. Because all of a sudden it was like, what? We're not going to meet for Christmas doesn't exist anymore. It was like we were just coming unraveled. People couldn't believe it. There's, there's this amazing thing that I believe um, Satan created. It's called the group text, right? <laughs> Are you guys ever in a family group text? You're like, why God? 
how did I get trapped into this? Like, bing, 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 bing. I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't care. I don't care about anything this much. <laughs> it was right around that time that my mother discovered that she could put emojis into a group text. <laughs> it was amazing. I love you, mom. Um, my parents watch online. And so, um, mom, I do love you, but holy smokes, chill out on the emojis. And so right then it was just like, you know, smiley face, heart face, you know, turkey. I don't know why. Like just random things. I'm like, oh, I can't. How, like, but I also don't want to be the jerk that's like, hey. Claude left conversation, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be, <laughs> Claude be like, wait, what? So it's complicated. It's complicated. And what was complicated about it was everyone's expectation. It just all came to the surface. We're like arguing via text, like we're getting angry. Why? Because we love each other. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to fight for this family. We need to be together. I hate you right now. It was totally counterintuitive. It didn't make any sense. It's amazing how our expectations trump what actually matters in moments. You see, because what mattered to all of us is that we're together as a family on Christmas Eve. It's about our family. But suddenly the expectations were trumping the core reason why we were gathering. And so ultimately we concluded... It made the most sense for us to meet in January. And so we had our Christmas Eve gathering in January. And it was okay. Everyone survived. It was remarkable how that worked out. I mean, some people were like, but it's not Christmas Eve. It was all right. It was okay. You know why? Because things change. They change. That's all right. As long as the things that matter are still at the core of what matters. And what matters is our family gathered together. Ten grandchildren, six children, my parents. It was amazing. It was so loud and so chaotic. It was beautiful. The food was the same as the way it was prepared on Christmas Eve. And it was still edible. Everything was still amazing. It was just on a different day. Are we willing to surrender our expectations for what actually matters. Today's text is about expectations. If we reread verse 11, it says this, and they sang responsively. So they're responding to that which God is doing. They, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They had laid the foundation for the temple. And so the altar is present, but now they've laid the foundation for the temple. And all of them, in response to what it is that God has done, are shouting with a great shout. It says they shouted with a great shout. And... Uh, it's translated all different unique ways. I think the thing that is cool is the way that it says it in its rawest form is at the top of their voices. We would say in our culture at the top of our lungs. So they are literally screaming and shouting praise to God. It's a remarkable picture that I don't think we can really fully understand unless we try to put it in context that we can wrap our mind around. The closest thing that we can really come to to, to picturing this is um, 
uh, Lumen Field is where the Seahawks play. It's in Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks are a football team, for those of you that don't know. Professional football team. And on January 8th, 2011, something remarkable happened. Um, there was a, a running back that... Uh, for some reason, the Bills let go, but that's another conversation for a different, different day. Uh, some of you are still hurting over that, and you should be. But um, Marshawn Lynch was, uh, was a running back for the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, he broke free and, in this moment of brilliance, ran 67 yards, breaking nine tackles and diving into the end zone. All of Lumen Field was losing their ever-loving mind. They were screaming at the top of their lungs. That day, the, the attendance was around 66,000 people. Okay? 66,000 people. At this point in history, the men of Israel numbered about 50,000. So they didn't count women and children at the time. So... It's very likely that there are more than 66,000 people at this moment that the foundation is being laid. The reason why I share the story about Marshawn Lynch is because uh, his nickname, uh, when he runs like that, they call it beast mode. So when he runs and breaks tackles, they call they're like, oh, he's getting in beast mode. And so that run specifically is called beastquake. If you want, you can Google it later. Super entertaining. Anyway, <laughs> Beastquake. The reason why it's called Beastquake is because 66,000 people stood to their feet and screamed at the top of their lungs so loud that a nearby seismograph registered it as an earthquake. Remarkable, right? That we can yell and shout so loud that it can literally shake the earth. And so that's, that's the closest snapshot we can get to what it is that's occurring in this moment. Over 50,000 people shouting at the top of their lungs. And in fact, at the end of verse 13 of this passage that was read, it says the sound was heard far away. Did it quake the earth that day? I don't know. But we get a snapshot of what it looks like for all of Israel to stand up and shout for that which God is doing. We have nearly everybody shouting, screaming, praising God. Now let's read on. Verse 12. It says, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, meaning the first temple, wept with a loud voice, when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So as they're shouting for joy, there's this group of people, this faction of people that are weeping. They're weeping. So why? Why are specifically the priests and the elderly heads of families weeping in the midst of this amazing moment of shouts of joy? Some of you might be thinking what most think when they first read it, and that's that, well, maybe they're weeping for joy. Maybe they're just as excited, and so they're moved to tears instead. That's um, a nice thought, but it does say, though uh, many shouted aloud for joy. So there's a comparison there that um, they're not shouting for joy. There's something else that's happening. We know that that's not the case because the Hebrew word used attached to, to their weeping is actually a word used for mourning. 
And so that's important to understand. It's not just a simple weep. It's not a happy weep. It's a mourning weep. Something is coming undone. They're devastated by something. Why are majority of the people shouting and screaming? It's because they've come from Babylon. They've come from a place where idols are worshipped. And now they see that they have set the foundation for an opportunity to have an encounter with God. And they are overwhelmed with praise. But there are those that are mourning. Most biblical commentators, I'm sorry, most commentators and biblical scholars agree that this is a mournful response. But there's no definitive why that everyone agrees on. There are some top possible reasons that most say, uh, about three of them say this is a possibility as to why they're weeping. And in light of the context, um, the reality is that they've seen the first temple. So these people that are elderly, that are the, um, that are the, uh, the Levites, They have functioned in, they have seen the first temple that's being built, and this is the second temple. And so some of the commentators and biblical scholars scholars think this could be the reason. So here's some reasons potentially why they're weeping. They're seeing the foundation and knowing their lack of resources comparatively, that it wouldn't be as impressive as Solomon's temple, which they had seen with their own eyes. So they're comparing, possibly. They're looking at this saying like, that's, that's it. Foundation is built. Hmm. It's not going to be as nice. There's another possibility. Possibility is the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the place in which the mercy seat sits on top of, where it is placed in the Holy of Holies, where God's presence would come and dwell. It's not mentioned here. You see, it's for the first time in history, it's believed that this is the point in history that it's lost from their exile. And so are the elderly weeping because although the temple will be built, there will be no Ark of the Covenant there. And so in their heart of hearts, are they contemplating the possibility that because of their sin, because of their actions that that led them to exile, has it cost them access to God's presence? Are they mourning the reality that we'll build this temple, but we won't have access to God? The third and final potential explanation is that when they left Egypt, the men numbered more than 600,000. So when they left Egypt from that first exile, and of course they're just coming off of the Feast of Booths, and so they're remembering the, the fact that their forefathers have left Egypt, and they know that they were numbering over nearly a million people in total. 600,000 men, and now they stand as the temple's foundation is laid, and they look around, and there's a mere 50,000 men. And although they're cheering and they're excited, they see the consequences of their sin ravaging their numbers. We ultimately don't know why they wept at this point. But all of the theories have two themes that are in common. The first theme that they have in common is that they had an unmet expectation. They're comparing. They're sitting there and they're saying, how could God possibly do what he has done in the past based on what it is we see before us? There's a comparison. There's an unmet expectation. Will this be what we had hoped it would be? Second, they're experiencing the pain of not walking closely with God. 
They're experiencing the pain of the consequences of their sin. The, the outflow of, of the consequences of the decisions they made to distance themselves from God. You see, if they hadn't distanced themselves from God, then they wouldn't be dealing with the ruins of Jerusalem. They wouldn't be dealing with the loss of the Ark of the Covenant. They wouldn't be dealing with the loss of their numbers. They wouldn't be coming from exile. So all of this themes are possible. Expectations and consequences of sin. And if we're honest, those two themes resonate with us today. We deal with the tension of unmet expectation. Things we thought would work out a certain way. We deal with the consequences, the ripple effect of the sin of our own lives. The way that we've distanced ourselves from the Lord. We say, oh my goodness, if I could go back. (laughs) If I could do that differently. If I could just make different decisions the way I would do it differently. And so we're caught up in this, in this darkness, in this valley, in this pain point. And we're saying, will we ever see light again? They're experiencing the already and not yet tension. Let me explain. With the foundation laid, they're already seeing prophecies fulfilled but not all are realized yet. So they see this, the the altar has been built and now this foundation has been built for the temple and they're saying, man, only God, only God could do it. God is at work. They can't deny that God is at work, but they're simultaneously let down by expectation. That's not a snapshot of our lives. I don't know what is, right? We can look around and say, God's, God's at work. He's doing something. But, but although God is doing something, I still have this tension of an unmet expectation. What about the things that I thought should work out this way? What about, God, you said you would do this, I thought. Or, or is it just really what I wanted? Is it really my will versus your will? <laughs> That's a messy road to go down. Was that it? I mean, is that it? Do we, do we just say, oh, that resonates, you know? That connects with us. We, like them, man, we can be sad. I relate to that. No. No, that's not the end. It doesn't have to be the end. You see, they're longing. They're, they're weeping. It resonates with us, but it points the readers. It points us, and even those that read it originally, forward. It points them forward to this unmet expectation, to to the one who would ultimately fulfill all expectations. It points forward to the one who would refer to himself as the temple. He said that he would destroy the temple and raise it in three days. Everyone was confused. They didn't realize that Jesus was talking about his body but he wasn't just talking about the temple that was his body. He was talking about the fact that he embodied what they believed the temple could only do. The temple was the place where they would come into right standing with God. The temple was the place that they could have access to God. The temple is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. All of scripture is pointing to Jesus. And so get this, Jesus' life and death fulfilled the feasts of Israel. They fulfilled the feasts of Israel. They are celebrating 
being set free from slavery. They're talking about their exodus from Egypt. I'm going to give you cliff notes. Feel free to read the book of Exodus and understand what it is that I'm going to make reference to. But they're celebrating being set free from slavery because the blood of an innocent lamb was put at the post and lintel of every doorpost. And when they sacrificed those lambs and put the blood on the post and lintel of every door, the angel of death came and passed over their home. That's why they celebrated a thing called Passover. And they passed over the homes that had the sacrifice of the innocent lamb. And the angel of death, according to history, the firstborn, the firstborn male of every child in Egypt passed away in a single night. That's what history tells us. Now, whether or not you want to believe in God or whether or not you want to believe that that's an explanation, let me connect the dots of what Scripture says. Scripture says that the firstborn son of every Egyptian died and that ultimately, because of Passover, the Pharaoh had had enough and said, just go, just go. And the people of Egypt, uh, the people of Israel were set free and they left, set free of physical slavery. But we don't need physical freedom as much as we need freedom from sin. You see, so God had set them physically free, but they still remained captive to the sin of their lives. And that echoed and reverberated through generations of generations. And now these elderly are weeping because of the tension they still feel. But it's pointing forward to Jesus, the spotless lamb, the firstborn son of God, who would lay his life down and have his blood shed on a post and lintel that would form a cross. And in the form of a cross, he would secure our freedom. Not our freedom physically, but our freedom from sin, so that we can now have right standing with God. And in the moment that he died that death, and he shed that blood, he also fulfilled the Levitical system of sacrifice and overcame the need for an altar. You see, blood needed to be shed to bring us in right standing with God. But Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice the day that he hung on that cross. But that's not all. You see, because Jesus' death and resurrection, we can now have access to God. When Jesus died, it says the earth shook and the, the uh, holy of holies had a drape that hung in it and it was torn from the top to the bottom. It was releasing the presence of God. And so now what could only be accessed by a single person one time a year to come into the presence of God because of the person and work of Jesus, we all now have access to God. Jesus' blood would cover our sin. He fulfilled the ministry of the temple. Jesus fulfilled it all. And so they're there and they're mourning and they're weeping because they see God at work, but they don't see the fullness of what God has in store. It's pointing us forward. It's the longing that we all have. These unmet expectations, this desire for heaven on earth. (laughs) But the reality is God is at work. He's just not at work the way we want. Shocking, I know. We're like, but I want to set up my own throne room and rule from, from the, uh, the throne of my own life. That leads to darkness. History tells us that. 
the depravity of your own soul tells you that. Your own wicked heart, your own desires. The moments that you realize like, ah, ah, that was on me. That was on me. We know it. We know we're not perfect. You want joy this holiday season? You want true joy? You want light in the midst of darkness? Worship God for who he is. Worship God for who he is and that which he has done. At the top of your lungs, worship God because he's worthy to be praised. Not because of our situation or our circumstances or because things are working out the way we want, but because he is God and we are not. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is worthy of our praise. Find satisfaction in God, not in your expectations. Oh, easier said than done, right? Listen, the answer is just find satisfaction in God and not your own expectations. Oh, check. Yeah, I'll be sure to do that. How about this? How about in the moments where your expectations are unmet, you contemplate whether or not God is enough? That's a little bit harder, right? Because in those moments where we say our expectations are not met, what we are declaring is God is good, but he's not enough. I need God and my way. In case you're wondering, you were born that way, right? If you want, you can spend some time in our nursery and get a little unedited example of that. These precious little kids that are like, mine! You're like, you were so beautiful a second ago, right? (laughs) Because at our core, the unedited version of the way we live our lives is we want it our way. We have expectations. We have desires. And if people just understood what we really want and and, and the pure motives of our heart, then they would understand. But at its core, it's no, it's my way. If we can come to the place that we declare God is enough, then when our expectations are unmet, we're able to find satisfaction in God and say, God, this isn't working out the way I wanted, but you are still worthy to be praised. You are still at work. And so therefore I shout at the top of my lungs. I give you praise because you are worthy. This isn't working out the way I see, but you know what? This is this plane and I'm not living for this plane. I'm living for eternity. And so would I, Lord, would you leverage all that I am, all that you've allowed me to steward with open hands so that I can be a part of what you're doing in this world. It's an eternal perspective. Sin and regret will steal your joy. They wept. They wept. But because of Jesus, we don't need to stay slaves to our sin. Desire to know God, to be in the light of his presence. It's in his presence the darkness of our situation and our past is transformed. Suddenly our past isn't a thing to regret. It's a thing to learn from and a thing that we see God is redeeming. You see, it's only the pain of our past that we're able to look at someone else struggling in a similar situation and say, I know what you're going through, but God saw me through that and he's gonna see you through it. So I'll walk alongside you. Let's do life together. It's messy, right? (laughs) It's only through our past that we can sit and link arms and say, listen, we're all a hot mess, but we're, but we're looking at Jesus together and he's worthy of our praise. 
Because Jesus arrived, God is accessible. Because of Advent, God is accessible. Will you lay your expectations aside and pursue him above all else? When we hold God to our expectations, it leads to weeping. When we pursue God, it leads to a peace that passes all understanding and a joy everlasting. Think about that for a second. If we live our lives holding God to our expectations, then we're going to be really bitter, really angry, really frustrated because things rarely go the way we want it to go. God just doesn't understand our way is better. God, hello, I could help you out on this one. Just do the awesome things I think. But when we pursue God, it leads to a peace that passes all understanding. How does that work? What does it look like? It's in scripture. It looks like praising him in the midst of the pain. It means praising him in the midst of the darkness. We look at King David and he's in the valley of the shadow of death. And what does he do? He says, you're worthy, God. You're walking beside me. You set up a table of my enemies before me. Like, oh man, he gets it. He gets it. He realizes that God is at work. And if we could just, if we could just understand the truth of the gospel and, and remind our hearts about God's presence, then in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the pain, if we would find a place and carve it out and just say, God, you're worthy, and just begin to worship him, how all of a sudden there is, there is a peace that passes all understanding. I'm not saying this theoretically. I'm saying it first person, somebody who has been in pain, someone with tears running down my face, saying in the midst of the pain, God, you're still worthy to be praised. You know what I'm talking about if you've experienced that. The moment where you, where you spend more time wrestling with God instead of just praying. What would it look like to, to begin praying? Oh gosh, we get this so wrong. I get this so wrong. Maybe you're more holy than I am. But in the midst of my unmet expectations, oftentimes my prayer looks like, God, do what I want. <laughs> like there, I prayed. Why is God not bringing me peace? Like, hey God, I'm praying and my prayer is do what I want. Oh, what are you talking about, Claude? Like, gosh, what if our prayers were, God, would you change me? God, this isn't working out the way I want. Would you, would you transform my heart? Would you help me understand that you're enough? Would you bring a peace that passes all understanding? Would you fill me with joy so that I can walk this journey as evidence of your grace and your mercy. Lord, I lay my expectations down and I ask you to be present because I need your presence. Not I need my way. I need your presence. Totally different prayer. Totally different prayer. Because when we're in God's presence, suddenly and sometimes we realize, good thing I didn't have my way. Right? There's some things that some of us have prayed about <laughs> that were like, oh my goodness, if, if that would have worked out that way, where I would be, what I would be doing. Thank you, Lord, for answering the prayer beneath my prayer. <laughs> and so would we find a place of contentment to, to say, God, your will, your way. God is doing something new. 
He's doing something new in you individually. I don't care if you're 100 years old or if you're 10 years old. God is doing something new. He's doing something new. Why? Because his mercies are new every morning. You're not some gerbil on a wheel. God wove you together in your mother's womb. You have a plan and a purpose. He's doing something new in you. He's doing something new in you individually and in us corporately. So let's lay down the tried. Let's, de- let's lay down that which we know. Let's stop trying to fit God into, into the little box that we want him in and say, but God, you always work this way, but you always do it this way, or I want you to do it this way. What if we just lived open-handed and say, God, do what only you can do? We stopped weeping over the past and instead set our eyes on the foundation that he is laying before us. The foundation that he's laying in our lives to say, okay, God, you're building something new. And so I'm not going to regret. I'm not going to weep over the past. Instead, I'm going to shout with praise. I'm going to worship you because I see that you're building something new. And I'm being built. Sounds almost like a series that we were just in. <laughs> and I'm being built to advance your glory. To advance your kingdom. For my joy. I'm available, God. I'm available for all that you want to do in and through me. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine what God could do with our yes. I know what it's like to say to a, a parent, hey, Claude, do this. I'm like, yeah, but, I'm like, oh, no, how about just, yeah. What if we came to God and just said, yes? Whatever you need, whatever you want, Lord, for your glory. And the amazing thing is we're filled with joy in the midst of it. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And this week is no different. The question I want to ask us all to contemplate as we begin to go into a time of response. The question is this. What expectations do I need to surrender to the Lord? (laughs) It's a tough question to ask yourself. (laughs) What expectations do I need to surrender to the Lord? preconceived ideas, my will, my desire, what I want. What do I need to lay down? Let's bow our heads. And if you want, you can close your eyes. If if you'd rather not, you can keep your eyes open. It's just so that as the worship team makes their way up, you're not distracted. An opportunity for you to contemplate the expectations of your life. First group of people I want to speak to are the people that aren't in relationship with the Lord. If you came into this place or if you're watching online, listening later on and say, you know, I have, I have a whole mess of, of expectations and probably the main expectation that I need to surrender to the Lord is that I can save myself. You've been living your life with you as the Lord and leader of your own life, trying to save yourself through your good works or through your own willpower. But at the end of the day, we can't do it on our own. And that's not a form of weakness. It's, a, it's an admission of strength to say because of that which God has done, I can be a child of the living God. And so today, if you want to come into relationship with the Lord and allow him to transform your past, forgive you the sin of your life, it's as simple as praying a prayer. And it's not a specific prayer that needs to be rotely repeated. It's an acknowledgement. In the quietness of your mind right now, you can pray a prayer somewhere along these lines, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you died for my sins. Because of your shed blood, 
I can come into right standing with the Lord. Would you forgive me of my sins? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. And in praying that prayer, it's going to be the beginning, a new beginning. And we want to walk alongside you in the midst of that prayer. And so if you're praying that prayer for the first time today, I would love to talk to you at the conclusion of today's gathering at the next steps area about what your next steps are. When we're done, Eric will be available. Meredith will be available up here for prayer. If, if you want to know what your next steps are, they can help you as well. If you're watching live right now and you just prayed that prayer, you can click request prayer and you'll go into a private chat with one of our pastors. They'll talk to you about the next steps so that you're not just making a momentary emotional decision, but you're beginning a journey of following Jesus. If you're watching or listening later on, you can always reach out through our website or via email. We want to walk alongside you in this journey. So if you're in this place today and you've already prayed that prayer, you say, listen, I'm, I'm in relationship with the Lord, then I want to challenge you, what expectations do you need to surrender to the Lord? Is it the past regret? Is it past victories? Right? Sometimes we have expectations because of our, our past, the, the, the pain of our past. And so today, does that surrendering... Sorry, we can hear your click. People are like looking at you like, what's going on? We have past regret. And so the expectations are attached to the hurt. We say, I'm too broken. I'm too, I'm too much of a mess. I'm, I'm too lost. And that's a lie. Some of us today, we, we have the expectations of past victories. And we say, but, but this was amazing in the past. And so we need to replicate it. But maybe that needs to be surrendered. Because God's doing something new. He uses new wineskins. God's doing something new in your life. For some of us, maybe the expectations we need to surrender is pursuing him above all. I'm no longer going to be held captive to my expectations, my desires, which by the way, our desires, the way we want things to go, by definition, it's called being sensual. It means being driven by the desires of your flesh. It means your flesh matters more to you than God. What you want. So what does it look like to lay that down and say, no, no, Above all else, God, I'm going to pursue you. Then in the midst of pain and hurt, we're going to just lean in and pray. Say, God, I want your presence. For some of you, maybe you're there and you're saying, I do this. I'm in a regular rhythm of doing this. Then to you, I would, I would challenge maybe the expectation that you need to lay down is that you can't influence others to follow Jesus that you somehow have cashed in that season of your life or that you're too shy or too young or too old or too whatever it might be. And, and that's a lie. God has strategically placed you in a sphere of influence to participate in the redemptive process of those you love. So whether that means a spiritual conversation or if some of you feel ill-equipped for that, it could be as easy as an invitation to our Christmas gathering to say, hey, just come on out. We're in a season where, where people attend things like that and they could come in and, and hear a clear gospel presentation, an opportunity to maybe have everything in their life and everything in their eternity changed. 
What expectations do I need to surrender to the Lord? Let's pray before we go into a time of response. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask that you would just (laughs) uproot these expectations, these things that they're all about us. They grip us. They bring division and they, they distance us from people that we love people that we care about, people that we're on mission with, people that we're maybe related to. And Lord, we just, we lay it down. And we ask that the truth of your gospel would transform our hearts, that we would go into every conversation as peacemakers, with open hands, ready to be a part of what it is you want to do for your glory. We declare ourselves available and we worship and praise you at the top of our lungs because you're worthy, because you're worthy. Stand with us.
Let's just uh, seal this time in prayer. And uh, then I'll, I'll close this off with a couple of things I want to mention to you. Let's just, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and uh, in light of who you are and that which you have done, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are worthy of praise. That you're worthy of praise. And so we lay our expectations down. We lay them at your feet, maybe with tears, maybe with a relief, (laughs) maybe with joy. But we lay them down. We ask that you do a work that only you can do. Father, that as we leave this place, we would leave this place filled with hope, filled with joy, filled with anticipation because we know that you're at work. We know that you're at work. And we want to be a part of what you're doing. So we declare ourselves available. Protect us as we go our separate ways and bring us together safely again next week as we gather to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to make you aware of a couple things just before I I dismiss you. Um, In case you haven't heard or you haven't been paying attention, (laughs) this Friday at 7 p.m., we are having an Advent gathering. It's going to be more of an insider service, if you will. In other words, it's going to be uh, predominantly worship-focused as well as guided prayer. So it's going to be a time of prayer and worship, and um, you won't want to miss it. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's going to be great. Um, If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're more than welcome, but there's going to be some uh, (laughs) just a lot of prayer and worship. You might be like, what in the world are they doing? So um, we just want to provide an opportunity for, uh, for prayer and worship corporately. Uh, the other housekeeping piece is uh, if you were not here last week, we did our one-day offering for Convoy of Hope. We have not sent that check out. It's thousands of dollars. We're super grateful for the generosity of Centerway, as always. Uh, if you want to contribute and be part of that, you can go to the drop-down online and give to Convoy of Hope one day, or there's envelopes by the uh, offering box back there that are specific for one day. Um, Centerway will be sending out one check once everyone has given. So if you want to participate in that, it's still not too late. Just want to make you aware. And that about does it. Sorry that it's kind of a nouncy at the end. But God bless you as you go. And uh, you won't want to miss next week. It's going to be great. And I hope to see you Friday if you're available. God bless you. <laughs>